<laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the April Watch 3rd, 2015 on. edition of Cardo Inside Out. It is going to be a humdinger, trust me. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on reports this week that the cost of the Aurora Theater shooting trial have already eclipsed $2.2 million, which does not count any funds spent by the defense team to date. Patty Cahoon from Westward. When I saw the number at first, I'm like, oh, because the defense team's been doing a lot of work. That doesn't even count that. This is just security and overtime. We haven't even started this thing, and taxpayers are already on the hook for over $2 million. What do you think? Well, I think that is just a fraction of where it will ultimately go. I mean, we effectively do not have the death penalty here in Colorado because you have endless rounds of appeals. They all have been expensive, not as expensive as this one, and then people are not put to death. So in this case, you're wasting time. You're wasting a lot of money when that same defense team that's earning who knows how much, but we know it's a lot. Um, actually, had said their client would plead as long as, he went to, as long as the death penalty was off the table. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Obviously, with the, the, the victims and the victim families involved, uh, how they believe they should, the trial should move forward when it comes to the death penalty is a separate part. But when it comes to taxpayers, is there going to be a number at some point when public opinion is going to be swayed? Gosh, it would have just been easier to put this guy in jail for life? Well, the reason he was, his lawyers were willing to offer a plea to life in prison with no parole was because that was a better deal for them because the death penalty is on the table. If the death penalty hadn't been on the table, a lawyer would have been crazy to take the plea that they, have, uh, that they had offered. This is the worst crime committed in the state of Colorado this century. Twelve people were murdered in a crime that involved extensive planning many death penalty aggravators, uh, such as a, a surprise attack, uh, high level of expertise in, in doing, including rigging the, rigging the bombs and other things. So I think it's appropriate that this case get all the resources it needs for a just resolution in the end. Besides 12 people killed, many, many other dozens seriously injured. It's right to do it this way as opposed to the bad way that death penalties were sometimes done, you know, in the olden days where, you know, maybe somebody gets a, a day and a half trial, uh, you know, and uh, it hardly costs anything on either side because the justice was so swift that it sometimes had false results. Uh, this is a system that is calculated to make sure that if the death penalty is imposed, everything has been done properly every step of the way, and that's, that's the right way to do it. Craig Silverman, attorney with Silverman and Olivas, also a talk show host on KNUS every Saturday morning. Um, looking at George Brockler, is there going to be extra pressure on him, not only with just the, the verdict, people want to see justice be done, but also with the costs involved? People are going to start to question his decision. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people around this table will. Everything old is new again. When you were talking, David, I thought about uh, Jack Graham, the guy who took down a United Airlines plane, uh, plane out of Stapleton, he was charged, convicted, sentenced to death, and the execution was carried out within a two-year span of time. That doesn't happen anymore, mainly because the public defenders are well-funded. There are a lot of people on the appellate courts who don't like capital punishment. A lot of people out there, including around this table, who don't like capital punishment. And that's what it's all about. Look, when I prosecuted Frank Rodriguez, my salary got printed in the paper because they made this argument, oh, how expensive it is. Really, it's the opponents of capital punishment who make it expensive, and they delay things, and then they cry out, oh, it's so slow. 
You know, it's ridiculous. The bottom line is if Brockler were to drop the death penalty, death penalty would be over in Colorado. But why aren't we talking about John Hickenlooper? He's the guy who said, let's have a discussion about it. And then he got reelected, even though he said, I'm against the death penalty. Why doesn't he stand up and say, you know what? This is all a big waste of time, because even if the death penalty is imposed, I'm going to be governor, and I'm going to get rid of it. And he has that power, and he can stop it right now. He could stop the Dexter Lewis case coming up in Denver. So why doesn't John Hickenlooper have the courage of his convictions? Mike Litwin from ColoradoIndependent.com. Clearly, it's very difficult to have any opinion about this whatsoever. Uh, but <laughs> give it your best shot. And let me know what you think. <laughs> Um, yeah, John Hickelooper is not going to do anything because we're not, you know, we're not in that 11th hour period where he has to do something, and he's a politician who generally doesn't do things unless he has to do them, which is why you've seen, like, for instance, he doesn't, you know, why hasn't he come forward on, on uh, this crazy uh, vaccinations, you know? It's like there are times when you need a governor to, where there's a really controversial stand to make a stand. This is a place where... You know, people do complain about the money on the side who are against the death penalty. I'm against the death penalty. I'm not here to complain about the money. It costs what it costs. What I'm going to complain about is if anybody 20 years from now, if and when uh, Holmes is, is put to death, going to think that this 20-year period that we went through and this horrible trial that we're going to go through and the people are going to have to go through so much, and I'm guessing he'll never be executed, was it worth doing it? And, and my sense is that most people will look back, back at this and think no. Let's get to it. The state of Indiana became the focus of national ire this week after Governor Mike Pence signed a religious freedom bill into law. Denver City government joined several other entities across the country in suspending any travel plans to Indiana. On Thursday, both Arkansas and Indiana offered amendments to each of their religious, religious freedom bills. Patty, um, this brought back a lot of memories of Colorado and Amendment Two days when boycotts from around the country, around uh, a law. Now that law was obviously very different than this one, but from those memories and from what you saw this uh, this week, what do you think? Well, first, let's point out that Michael Hancock banned non-essential travel to Indiana. And so that brings up the first question, why are we paying for non-essential travel anywhere, much less to Indiana? And really, what essential travel is there to Indiana for people in Denver anyway? But that's a separate issue. What this also raised was memories of what it was like to be in Colorado over tw 20 years ago, right after Colorado voters passed Amendment 2, which banned s special rights for gays, but essentially stripped them of almost all rights, would have stripped them of almost all rights if it had gone through. The call for a boycott was immediate. It was across the country. It was fraught with as many misunderstandings, really, as what's going on with Indiana and Arkansas, too. And it was a really extraordinary time to be living in a place called the hate state. And Wellington Webb, who I talked to yesterday, really interesting talking to him, about he went on a national tour to remind people that in Denver, voters did not approve Amendment 2, that voters soundly rejected it here in Denver. He went and saw David Dinkins in New York City and was chased by the lesbian Avengers. Uh, he went on Arsenio Hall. He went to the New York Times, which did not buy his argument. But it's a real amazing trip back in the past just to remember what it's like to suddenly be called on 
uh, to be the victim of a boycott when you might not have had anything to do with what the majority of the rest of the state was voting. So I asked him what his advice would be to the mayor of Indianapolis, and he said, get out there and really disavow the rest of the people who voted for this bill, which they are working to amend pretty quickly in Indiana. So we'll see where that all takes down. David, there's a lot of discussion nationally between the difference of the law they passed in Indiana, and I know it's been amended just recently, to other religious uh, uh, freedom acts that are in both there's a federal statute and other states. Was there a key difference from the Indiana version and from what we know about now to laws that exist in other states already? No, it's the Indiana law when originally acted was similar to the laws of about 20 other states and, of course, uh, very similar to the federal law we've had since 1993. We, we see that Mayor Hancock is easily bullied. He was supposed to speak to a uh, gay rights organization several weeks ago, and then some extremist thugs showed up and started yelling, and Mayor Hancock ran away and didn't deliver his speech. And again this week, joins the bullying with a snap reaction uh, that doesn't make any sense unless you're going to ban travel to the entire United States, which has this federal law, as well as to all the other states that have similar laws. Most people in this country understand that when you have anti-discrimination laws, the application of them varies based on the circumstances. So, for example, we ban sex discrimination and race discrimination, and we would say if a uh, gasoline station won't let you buy their products or you, uh, an employer fires you or won't hire you on the basis of your sex or race, that's the same. For restrooms, we say segregated restrooms by sex are fine, but we would say segregated race restrooms by race are terrible. In the case of discrimination based on sexual orientation, the practical issue that is being fought over is forcing people who have religious objections to participate in somebody else's wedding as a caterer, as a photographer, whatever. That is a trivial issue in practice, and it is wrong to bully people to participate. We had for a long time the argument, how does my gay marriage threaten or harm anyone else? Well, the answer is when you force somebody to participate in your ceremony over their sincere religious objections. We ought to have the spirit that the gay rights movement came out of originally, which was live and let live, let you tolerate me, I tolerate you, and neither of us is going to use the force of law to impose our morality on other people. Craig, looking at discrimination in any sort of form is always going to be complicated. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say I know any of the answers, but you have a legal background. You've talked about this in a lot of issues. Uh, what do you think? Wow, I, I think it's an interesting issue, and everybody should have seen the back and forth between <laughs> David and Mike. Before I may be talking tape, yeah. about it on my radio show, and I'm having Noel Martin on, who's the attorney for Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Bakery. Uh, that is what the Indiana law is designed for, to protect Jack Phillips, and I've wrestled with that issue. And it comes down to this. Look, I've never had the pleasure of being invited to a gay wedding, and I... If I was, I'm almost certain that I would attend. But I wouldn't want the government to tell me I have to attend. Do you know what I mean? So, um, the, but the dominant thing here is that Christians are in full retreat. I thought of my buddy Mike Litwin when I saw Mike Pence on with George Stephanopoulos because he was asked, 
is this designed to let you discriminate? And he wouldn't answer. He said, George. And then his defense was basically the Hoosier superiority defense. We're so nice. <laughs> We're Hoosiers. We, we would never discriminate. All people are equal, uh, only Hoosiers are more virtuous and nice than anybody else. And it was kind of ridiculous, and I thought of Mike because he coined the phrase, a me KO, talking about Scott McInnes. <laughs> and Mike Pence, who had serious presidential aspirations, I think uh, he did a me KO this week. <laughs> Mike, uh, you, you've already been quoted, and you haven't had a chance to chime in. Um, what do you make of the uh, arguments around it, and then the, I guess, the amendments we've seen both in Indiana and Arkansas? Uh, obviously, Arkansas didn't have to stem off a travel ban, but there's a little bit, a little bit different situation there. What do you think? Yeah, well, I'm amazed by a couple of things. One is that if you go to Arkansas, which I try not to do, but if you do go to Arkansas, Walmart is the one that stepped up. Walmart, do you know, which is been hated by liberals, you know, which, which liberals won't even allow to come into their city because, you know, more about politics than about big boxing. Walmart steps up and says, this law has to change, and the governor said, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And um, so we have, we have big business suddenly being among the most outwardly out, I guess is the right word, pro-gay uh, organization. This is this is a chamber of commerce issue. They want they don't want anti-gay laws in there. You know, and when it's crazy when Mike Pence went up there and was asked specifically whether this law would discriminate against gays, he wouldn't answer the question. Why not? Why wouldn't he answer the question? If this is not meant to discriminate against gays, why wouldn't he answer the question? It was just last year that a court said that Indiana that gay marriage was legal in Indiana. This law, if anyone listened for two seconds to the arguments made for this law, knows that this was about discrimination. That's why the law was being put in. David says we don't have to worry about gay discrimination, not being gay. I guess he doesn't have to worry about it. Gay people do have to worry still about being discriminated against. It happens all the time. Gays are not a protected class in a lot of places. You can be fired in most states simply for being gay just because your boss doesn't like the fact that you're gay. To, to suggest that this, these laws come from their, their concern about a Colorado baker is absurd. That's not what this law is about. That's not what it attempts to do. Clearly, what we'll be talking about in the future, but let's move on. State Representative Gordon Klingenschmidt was removed from the House Health, Insurance, and Environment Committee by House leadership this week. Fellow Republican Representative Justin Everett said that the punishment sets a dangerous precedent. Uh, David, these were uh, the punishment was based on the comments that Klingenschmidt had made uh, earlier last week about Michelle Walkins, the long woman, long pregnant woman who was attacked. Um, he apologized for his, his remarks. He uh, um, is stopping his ministry at least until the end of the session. Was taking him off that committee a step too far? No, I, th I think it was. Well, I think it was consistent with the precedent of actually how a very similar situation was handled a few years ago, when there was another representative from Colorado Springs who made a religiously based comment that most people thought was ridiculous, out outrageous, and, and very wrong. Where th that representative said that people who disagreed with him on charter schools, there was a special place in hell for them, and the representative was forced to 
voluntarily, but was basically forced to step down from being chair of the Education Committee. So like Kling and Schmidt, he got a, a committee-related demotion. And this representative, by the way, also apologized for that, as Kling and Schmidt has also apologized. And this representative, Democrat uh, uh, Mike Merrifield, uh, did not resign. And, you know, uh, people say maybe Kling and Schmidt should be forced to resign. I don't take the view that you should, because you say one bad thing, that that necessarily means you've got to resign from your job. And, and, and that's true, you know, sort of across the board. Uh, the Merrifield's remarks will be used against him for the rest of his political career. So will Klingenschmitz. And part of what's going on, by the way, part of the, the Republican uh, pile-on on top of Klingenschmitz is Bill Cadman's seat is opening up. Klingenschmitt has his uh, term limits. Klingenschmitt has his eye on it. So does Bob Gardner, former state representative. And so I think you're seeing the El Paso County not just the establishment, but a lot, also a lot of the, the mainstream, uh, use this as the opportunity to ice Kling and Schmidt out of having any possibility of running for that seat. Stem the bleeding now before yeah. it gets worse. Uh, Craig, is this an appropriate way to handle uh, the Kling and Schmidt issue within the House? Well, he's not a first offender. I think he said Jared Polis was like ISIS and the gay agenda is to behead people or something like that. Look, I got to know Gordon Klingenschmidt a lot better when he came on my show for an hour. People could check it out on the podcast, a startling revelation that his ministry, with no congregation but YouTube subscribers and a button you can push, brings in $800,000 a year. So you have to wonder, hmm, what's going on there? Colorado Polls has a, a new posting that takes my radio interview and questions the uh, intermingling of money. So we'll figure it out. I kind of wonder always when I see televangelists like this, whether it's a shtick, an act, all designed to get money. And if you listen to uh, him quoting Hosea, he said, I wonder if this prophecy applies. But then he went to the big finish and he said, the curse of God is on her. And it was terrible because she's a crime victim. And I, I hate to see people be that insensitive to a crime victim saying, it's God's doing that you... Uh, and to Klingenschmidt's credit, he did apologize for that. But part of the reason we all recoil is we don't want to think of a God who would do something like that or have any hand in it. Yet tonight, I'll be celebrating Passover and for the next eight days, and we'll read the Exodus story and the slaying of the firstborn as the last of the ten plagues. And as I understand, Easter has some pretty violent origins to it, too. So, you know, may, Gordon Klingenschmidt is all, has provided us some food for thought. He certainly has. $800,000 for his, his ministry on YouTube? He said he was going to a CPA and that he, uh, his uh, proceeds from 2014 uh, were $800,000. And his social media stuff. In fairness, he said he'd take zero salary and that he's one of the largest contributors. Now, take that for what it's worth. He was a military chaplain, but he only served 16 years because he got drummed out because he wouldn't stop praying in Jesus' name on all his prayers in uniform. Wow. Dr. Chapsby, Dr. Cash. Uh, yeah. Mike, what do you think uh, was the response appropriate from the House? Well, I, I, I've, I'm mixed about that. Uh, you know, the, the Republicans have been holding their breath for the entire session, waiting for something like this to happen praying, if I can use the word, <laughs> that it wouldn't happen. 
And uh, eventually it did. It had to. And it's who Dr. Chaps is. It's like they're talking about the, the he talks about the demon. I think in Gordon Klingenschmidt's demon is Dr. Chaps, right? And it comes out. And uh, if it hadn't come out on the on the floor of the house, it would come out on his on his eight hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> Where do I get into that? <laughs> YouTube, man, YouTube, YouTube, uh, YouTube show that. Uh, but you know the real responsibility here. The real responsibility here is with the people who elected him. Mm -hmm. None of this stuff was secret. All of this stuff was out before he was elected. All of the all of the beheading stuff. Every all the wacky things that Dr. Chaps had ever said before, this horrifying one, it's not so much wacky as just horrifying, one is, is it's already out there. So, I mean, who gets the blame? The blame are the people who elected him. And, you know, they, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of recalls, and, uh, but these people should recall him just, just to rid themselves of the embarrassment of having elected him. Patty, wrap it up for us. Well, much as we wouldn't like to see him go because he's such a great topic to talk about on this show, it's not the legislature's job to police your speech. It is the voters who made the mistake of putting him in. He had said plenty of heinous things long before he was elected. The Colorado Republican Party, the El Paso County, could have gone out there, could have really done an effective fight against him. Obviously, they didn't. He was elected, and now it's going to be up to the voters and the party to get rid of him. Well, with just a few minutes left, let's get to our favorite part of the show, which is Disgrace of the Week. Uh, Patty, a lot to choose from this week. You start us off. There is so much, but I'm returning to our long, long, long-running disgrace, the VA hospital. We had the deputy head of the VA, Sloan Gibson, come here this week, visit the facility, say that he thought Kaufman's idea of, they just love beating up Kaufman for unknown reasons. Kaufman's idea of having, you know, the bonuses going to help finish this off was stupid. Meanwhile, the two, two at least two of the VA people who've left in disgrace, including the man who was in charge of this, they wind up getting their buyouts, they wind up getting their bonuses, but we do not have a hospital. David. In 2012, the American voters had the opportunity to vote for a candidate who offered us something very different from this terrible Iran nuclear weapons facilitation deal uh, just announced by the president. That candidate said the only deal we'll accept is that they end their nuclear program and abide by the U.N. resolutions that have been in place. And I'm sorry that that candidate, uh, who we were promised in 2012, uh, in Obama's campaign speeches is not the person who is presently uh, running things. Craig. Totally agree with David, but I'm going to put it on radical Islam. Every morning we wake up to another horror. This horror in Kenya committed against Christians, outrageous, disgusting, and the worst of radical Islam is in Iran. And this administration wants to have a secret deal with radical Islam. I protest. Mike. I'm going to stay on the same topic, but have a slightly different point of view. Uh, I'm also against radical Islam. And uh, I, think that, um, I think that the people like, say, Scott Walker, who without, without any real look at what, was, at what was being negotiated, stepped up and said, I will, I will blow this up on the first day I'm in office, presumably 
right after killing off Obamacare. But then he will, he will kill off this deal if the deal ever gets completed, if the deal ever doesn't get scuttled. By saying that, saying that, if our na that we'll, have, we'll have tougher sanctions, even though if this deal doesn't go through, all the other people involved in the sanctions will say, we're out, see ya. It's time to say something nice about somebody. Uh, a little bit tougher on a show like this, so Patty, <laughs> give it a shot. Claire Davis's family, they continue to be an incredible class act. Mm -hmm. They've just come to an agreement with the Littleton School Board to um, force some disclosure of what's gone on, as opposed to what happened in Jefferson County after Columbine, and we're heading into the Columbine anniversary season. Littleton has seen how important it is, well, maybe to be transparent, or maybe they've seen how important it is not to stonewall parents as ardent and sincere as the Davis family has been. So good for them on pushing for this agreement. Here, here. David. Uh, the French socialist government of uh, Mr. Hollande, who was tough in the Iran negotiations and found itself tag-teamed by the Iranians and the Obama negotiators, who is, has been explained, were basically serving as defenders of the Iranian position. So at least the French have some interest in preventing the Iranian nuclear bomb rather than facilitating it after a delay of several years. Craig. Ayan Hirsi Ali, the very brave and wise author of the bestseller Heretic, in which she exposes and takes on Islam and how it becomes radical. And I, I, I didn't hear Mike say that Iran was not radical Islam. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> let's let's try. Keep it on. Say something nice. Mike, go ahead. Uh, I, I want to say on the record that I think they're terrible in Iran. Don't like the people and the government of Iran. Strongly against the government of Iran. Don't see what that makes any difference. Nice about something. I'm going to say yes. something nice about April. Because April, not always the cruelest month, is, is when baseball begins, and it's the only month in which we can possibly pretend that the Rockies have any chance of doing anything this season. Everyone's in first place. <laughs> that is all the time we have tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember that if you miss any part of the show or want to catch our web-exclusive segment, CIO Postgame, check out CPT12.org or YouTube. I also send out our takes via Twitter, so please feel free to follow me there. Also, you can listen to our show as a podcast on iTunes, so be sure to check that out. I want to send a, uh, for all of our Jewish friends, happy Passover. For all of our Christian friends, uh, happy Easter. And for all of our uh, non-religious friends, have a nice weekend. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Duzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.